0: We've been looking at the story of the last of the judges, Samson. And uh, up until this point, Samson's already started his ministry as judge with a very, very peculiar approach. And I'm not exactly sure why the Lord even bothered to use Samuel. If you look at the story of Samuel, it's pretty bad. But then again, you realize that is there for a reason. And I think the reason primarily is for our benefit to know what we're not to do as well as what to do. Uh, and, and I think that's a lesson for us that we can learn from his mistakes, his bad judgment, his lack of character and lack of, uh, serving the Lord, at least in those earlier years. Remember, he was born into this world dedicated by his mother to be a Nazirite for life. And already he's defiled himself with women, and he's defiled himself with uh, dead bodies. But he has an amazing strength that's given to him by the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him at certain times in his life. In fact, of all of the times that it's mentioned in the book of Judges, where the Spirit of the Lord came upon an individual... It came upon Samuel four times altogether in this scripture that we have. And the others, like Othniel and Jephthah, it came upon them once. And the thing that also sets Samson apart from the others is that instead of completely delivering Israel from the oppressor, in this case the Philistines, the Bible clearly states that Samuel began to deliver. And that's an interesting statement that is made uh, by the author of the book of Judges. He didn't do a complete job. And I believe perhaps the primary reason for that is that he really wasn't completely sold out to the Lord. But his life is going to continue in a very, very negative way through the majority of the text that we'll be looking at tonight. And we'll end with his ultimate death. But before we get there, we're going to continue where we left off the last time, beginning with verse 4 of chapter 15. And I stopped at that portion of Scripture last time. The first three verses of chapter 15 really ended the story uh, with regard to the woman that he had insisted upon having his father get for him. She was a Philistine woman. Shouldn't have been done, but he insisted, and his father finally succumbed to that insistence. And they were involved in a wedding ceremony, you may recall. And during that wedding ceremony, Samson decided to play a game. It was a riddle that he wanted to share with him, based on an experience that he had had just a short time before that with regard to a lion that he killed. He had walked by that lion later and found that there was a swarm of bees and they had built a hive in the carcass of the lion. So he took honey from the lion, thereby defiling himself by touching a dead body, and he gave some of the honey to his parents, which basically, unbeknownst to them, defiled them as well. It was just under the Mosaic Law that that would be the case. So he's not really paying attention to the things of God in that relationship that he has now begun, is in a marriage ceremony which lasted about seven days. And in that ceremony, again, he presented this riddle. And the riddle was basically to say, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Obviously referring to the lion and the honey. They had no way of understanding what that riddle was or how to explain it. And for the first three days, they could not. And so they finally went to the woman that he was to marry and insisted that she help them find out what the riddle was at the risk of her own life if she refused. So she pressed Samson. And he finally succumbed to her and he told her. And then she ended up telling the Philistine men and they were able then to solve the riddle on the seventh day. And that so angered Samson that he completely chose to remove himself from that consummation of the wedding, which should have taken place that seventh night. But it did not. He left in anger. And in his anger, he uh, went out and killed 30 Philistines to take their garments because that was the wage of the bet that he was making with the Philistines in the wedding party. That if he lost that bet, they would be the recipients of 30 garments of clothing. So he killed 30 Philistines to accomplish that which he had promised if he lost the bet. But he was so angry again, he left that territory of the Philistines and went back to his father's house. And that's where we find in chapter 15 those first three verses speaking of the aftermath of that decision. And I'll read from verse 1 then uh, to remind you exactly what took place. It says in verse 1 of chapter 15, After a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat and he said, Let me go into my wife into her room. But her father would not permit him to go. So as far as Samson's concerned, he thinks that she's still his wife. Remember, that engagement had to have been broken by a bill of divorce, a writing of divorce. That wasn't done, but as far as Samson was concerned, he could go back and just pick up where he left off. As far as her father was concerned, it was kind of different. Remember, he was under the Mosaic Law, he was a Philistine. And his decision was this. In chapter 15, verse 2, it says, her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion, which is the equivalent of our best man today. And then he says, is not her younger sister better than she? Why don't you take her instead? So that's the way the Philistines operated, apparently, in that time. Uh, And it didn't seem at all out of line with uh, that which should have been done, but it did not please Samuel at all. And it tells us in verse 3, Samuel said to them, this time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. So he recognized the fact here that he was blamed, self-proclaimed blame, for the death of the 30 Philistines that he had killed in the previous situation. But now he's saying, I'm going to perhaps do something that I'm not going to be taking any blame for, because I'm going to take vengeance on you for having done this. And he believed himself to be in the right. He wasn't, but he believed himself to be within the privilege of his having to take justification for the next thing that he's going to do. So he begins in verse 4, where we start tonight's lesson. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes. And by the way, foxes don't travel in packs, but there's another animal that the Hebrew word for fox also is translated, and that word is jackals. And jackals do travel in packs of six or more, uh, and and foxes are not as common, even in that day apparently, uh, to be able to round up 300 of them, it seems, but jackals were. They were very prevalent. So it's very likely that the translations that we have that say 300 foxes probably would be better translated 300 jackals. But in any case, he caught them, and he apparently was able to put them into some kind of containing area, and he took torches and turned the foxes tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. Now, that must have taken some amount of time and effort, but apparently he had a plan, and this is the plan. By putting the torches between their tails and lighting the torches and then sending them off by pairs in Philistine territory, it tells us in verse 5, when he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and olive groves. So, they really made a mess of things. They went through the territory, setting everything on fire. The shocks would be the grain that had already been harvested and and stacked up in in piles, and then the standing grain that had not yet been harvested, and then also olives and vineyards. There were just great, great harm done by these 300 animals that he had paired together like that. Verse 6 says, Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Tin Knight, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. That's the way they operated. They take life. If they can't take the life of the one who was guilty of doing the harm, then they'll find out that they can kill somebody that he was close to. In this case, it was the woman that he had wanted to be as wife. So now, he definitely is not married. His wife, if she had married him, and she didn't, but if she had been successfully married to him, she's now dead, as well as her father. Uh, The Philistines took that vengeance on Samson because of what he had just done. Now, Samson in verse 7 said to them, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. Notice that God isn't involved in any of this. He is making these decisions on his own without apparently consulting the will of the Lord. But he's very, very, well, impulsive, I guess you would say. But he's overconfident as well. He knows he has supernatural strength and he makes use of it, but in not a good way. Verse 7 says, again, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take vengeance on you, and after that I will cease. So he attacked them with hip and thigh with a great slaughter. And then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Edom. Now, we don't really know exactly how many people were involved in that slaughter. Uh, We're not sure if they were killed or if they were just badly wounded, Uh, but it is a revenge that he takes place on those Philistines that are attacked his wife's and father's home, where they were both killed. Now the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And by the way, the word Lehi is the name of a town, a village, and its translation is jawbone. That comes into play a little bit later on, you will see. But Levi is just a community in Judah, Uh, that he was already familiar with near his own home. And it says in verse 10, And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? So they answered, We have come up to arrest Samson, to do him as he has done to us. Then three thousand men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom, where he was hiding, and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. That's his attitude. Eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth. And that was certainly part of what was given in the Mosaic Law. But it certainly wasn't vengefulness that God had in mind. So now notice they send 3,000 men from Judah to get Samson. And persuade him to come with them peacefully. It says in verse 12, But they said to him, We have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hands of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him, saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hands, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. So he was willing to go with them. And I think the reason, again, is because he believes himself to be able to deal with any situation because he has already been proven to be exceptionally strong and they fear him and he thought he had an upper hand. He was indeed overconfident, perhaps really, really very cocky and assuming that perhaps the Spirit of the Lord will come upon him again as it had in the past and then he would be just fine. Uh, he hasn't really proved himself to be worthy of that, but it turns out that God does indeed do just that. Verse 14 says When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him, and then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. That's the fourth time and last time that we'll see that phrase with regard to Samson. And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it, and killed a thousand men with it. And then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. No explanation of exactly how that was accomplished, but again the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and take note of the fact that it's, it's interesting how the Lord puts things together in the way that he does. But the town of Lehi is where this event took place. And remember, back in verse 9, we said Lehi is translated in our English words as jawbone. And it tells us that he took a fresh jawbone of a donkey to accomplish this feat. Might have been in a very narrow area where he was only having to deal with one or two at a time. We're not told. But he used just that single weapon, a jawbone of a donkey, to kill a thousand men. Supernatural strength, supernatural ability, supernatural protection. God was all over it. And now in verse 17, after that tremendous victory, it was so that when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place Ramath-Lehi, or Hill of the Jawbone. Appropriate name. Then he became very thirsty, and so he cried out to the Lord and said, and by the way, this is the first time that we see Samson praying, communicating to the Lord, relying on the Lord for something, voicing his desire For the Lord's help. And he said, You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. And now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So he's very thirsty now after having accomplished that great feat. But at first, it looked like in verse 16 that he was taking all the credit. He said, I have slain a thousand men. He hasn't given God any glory in this. But here, in his personal approach to God, for the very first time as it's recorded here for us, we see him calling out to the Lord, but he doesn't use the name Yahweh. He just uses the generic Elohim. And it's interesting that he's beginning now to think about God in these last several verses of Scripture that we'll be looking at tonight. But it's only the very first time, according to what we have read, where he has done so. And it's because he's thirsty and he wants the Lord to help him to provide something for him. That's pretty arrogant for you to take credit of a great victory and then ask the Lord to give you some blessing afterward. Without first giving God the glory, why would God want to do that? But herein is the grace of God, my friends, And that is something we all need to remember very, very well. It says, after that, in verse 19, So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank. Isn't that God's grace? God could have said, forget it. You didn't give me credit. I'm not going to give you water. But that's not how God operates. God gave him the desire of his heart, because he simply came to the Lord asking for something that he needed. And that's certainly something that we should be very, very willing to always remember to do in our own walk with our Lord. To make sure that we would come to Him by faith asking Him from our heart that which we have as a desire. And He tells us He will give us that which we desire if we ask according to His will. Apparently, it was God's will that, that Samson should be blessed in this way. And again, the only explanation that I can think of is that God wanted to express His grace through this particular event so that we could see how wonderful our God truly is to us. So he drank it, and his spirit returned, and he revived. And therefore we called the name of that place En-Hakkor, or Spring of the Caller. He was the one who called on the Lord. And he named it after himself, the caller unto the Lord. And it's in that territory to that very day of the writing of this particular book of Judges. And then in verse 20 it tells us that he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Now, we don't know anything about other things that he did besides what is recorded in this book of Judges in these several chapters that we've been looking at and we'll read through again the final chapter regarding Samson, chapter 16, momentarily. But keep in mind that although we don't see much of what Samson did as far as delivering the people of Israel from the Philistines, we recall that God had indeed begun that work through him because he wanted to make the Philistines to be despised among the people. It tells us in verse 4 of chapter 14, you recall, that his father didn't know that it was of the Lord that Samson had asked for that woman because he was seeking, God was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. So God was in all of this and in spite of the fact that Samson was so very, very far from perfect. God used him to begin the work that he had intended for him to begin. And we're also told in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, which we call the great chapter of faith, the hall of faith, Samson's name is included. So the writer of Hebrews, through the Holy Spirit, considers Samson to be a righteous man, a man of faith. And we find that in the very end of his life. And that's where we're going next as we read chapter 16 together, where it begins with another woman. Now, this would be the second of the women that he encounters. And she neither is named like the first. But it says in verse 1 of chapter 16, Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. So she's a Philistine woman, a harlot, and he went into her for what is common among men who are just unable to control their lust. And that was basically Samson's greatest problem. He had a problem with sexual sexual lust. And now he goes into this woman, and it tells us, when the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they were quiet all night, saying, In the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. So they set an ambush. They figured they'd be able to, in the daylight hours, see him coming towards the wall of the city, and they would surround him, and they would destroy him. That was their plan. Unbeknownst to them, verse 3 tells us that Samson lay low until midnight, and then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city, and the two gateposts pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now that's an interesting statement that is made here. He takes the gate of the city, bars and all, puts them on his shoulders, and carries them what appears to be a great distance. Hebron is some 40 miles from the territory of Gaza. However, if you look closely at the text, all it really says is that he carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron, or the hill that is opposite Hebron. In other words, it might have been just a nearby hill that faced in the direction of Hebron as opposed to another hill that faced north or another hill that faced south. This hill apparently faced eastward toward Hebron. Hebron. So it's not that he necessarily carried it for 35 or 40 miles, but he carried it up to the top of a hill that faces the the city of Hebron. And afterward, it happened, again, that's the last of the harlot, we're going on to now woman number three. It happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. She is one of three women that are given to us that have relations with Samson, but she's the only one that is named. I'm not really sure I can tell you why she was named, whereas the others were not, but she plays a very, very particularly um, important role in the story of Samson. It's not a happy ending, but it's the story that is told, again, for our benefit. So reading on, it tells us in verse 5, And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you eleven hundred pieces of silver. Now, if our understanding of the lords of the Philistines is correct, There were five lords, according to the scriptures elsewhere recorded, so that must have been a total of 5,500 pieces of silver. Quite a payment for this woman, Delilah. And of course, she was more interested in money, apparently, than she was in Samson. Even though it tells us that Samson loved this woman, hard to know whether it was true love or whether it was just a lustful desire for her. But nonetheless, he's with her through a period of time that she can now entice him eventually to reveal his secret. The previous woman was asked to entice Samson to tell the people what the riddle was, and she was successful in doing that. But here, Samson's a little bit more resistant and a little bit more overconfident and he loves to play games. And so when she comes to him, after having been received that statement of of payment by the Philistine lords, she goes right into action. And it tells us in verse 6, So Delilah, Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and with what you may be bound to afflict you. They needed to know where his strength lies. I find that interesting. Apparently, samson didn't look like hulk hogan or arnold schwarzenegger i mean he was just a normal sized man but he had super normal strength and they didn't understand how that could be they wanted to find out it was a perfectly smart and reasonable thing for them to try to determine because if they could determine what it was that made him so strong, perhaps they could get some way of getting around it. That was their goal. And so she comes to him again and asks him, tell us what is the reason you have such great strength. And tell me what it is that you may be bound with so that I can afflict you. How about that for a woman that you love? She wants to afflict him and openly declares that. And Samson must have have said, Oh, you are such a foolish woman to think that you can do that. But instead, he goes along with that. And he gives her a way for them to remove his strength from him. At least that's what he tells her. He said to her, verse 7, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Be like any other man. He's not like any other man. And he knows it. But notice also that that's the same thing that the men of Judah had done to bind him and present him to the Philistines back in chapter 15. And he easily opened his arms away from the the binding with hardly any effort at all. He's telling her that's how they can take advantage of my strength and make me like any other man. Obviously, he knew it was not so, but she did not. And so she goes along with that. She thinks she's got the answer. Verse 8 says So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now, Men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings strings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. She's pressing him. Again, she wants to know how she can bind him to Prevent his strength from being able to overcome that and the Philistines that will come upon him. So he said to her, verse 11, if they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So this time he's changing it a little bit from the first fresh bowstrings to ropes that have never been used. Solid ropes, big ropes that are tightly woven together. And having done that, she believes that he's telling her the truth. So verse 12 continues and says, Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room. But he broke them off his arms like a thread. So that's twice now that he's use the rope method, and she realizes that's not going to work. So we've got to try to press for the truth. She continues to do so. Verse 13 says, Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. So he's being asked again, let me know how we can bind you, so that we can Take advantage of that, and then we can afflict you. What a wonderful wife woman this is. And by the way, there's no place in this section at all that tells us that she is his wife. He just loved her. But it doesn't say he married her. But they're apparently living with one another in the territory of the Philistines. So he says, all right, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. Now listen, he's mentioning his hair here. He's getting close to revealing the secret, but not quite there yet. So she wove, in verse 14, his hair tightly with the batten of the loom, and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep, and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. So that didn't work either. Three times what he told her was not truth. And she's getting very, very frustrated. And so she's using a very common tactic of a poor woman who has been sadly mistreated. In verse 15, she said to him, How can you say, I love you when your heart is not with me? Appealing to his men his heart for her his love for her his appeal for her is being tested by her words not only that but she says you have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies and it came to pass when she pressed him daily we're not told how many days but this happened over a period of more than just a few days she pressed him continually with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. He was getting so, so tired of the constant requests that she was making that finally, it says in verse 17, he told her all his heart and said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like other men. That's the end of his Nazarite vow. He had, he had defiled himself with women. He had defiled himself with grapes from the vine, apparently, which was against the rule. He had defiled himself with dead carcass, a body, and now he's defiled himself by allowing his hair to be cut. The Nazarite was never to cut his hair. So now he's no longer a Nazarite. And now he no longer has the Spirit of God available to him because he has disavowed his vow that he had made, or that his mother had made for him. Verse 18, Delilah understood. She saw that he had told her all that is in his heart, And she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. She was so convinced that this time he had revealed the secret, that she convinced them to bring the money with you, because after all, she definitely wanted to get paid. And she would receive that payment and then reveal the secret. Tells us in verse 19, she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before, as other times, and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. That is so sad. He did not know that the Lord had departed. Oh, may it never be that any of us would ever have that experience that Samson had when he realized that God had forsaken him. But clearly, the Word of God tells us in the New Testament that we who are his own will always be held in the palm of his hand. He has promised... I hold you in the palm of my hand and I will not let you go. He tells us elsewhere in the book of Hebrews, I will not forsake you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. That's his promise to us. But here he's left Samson because Samson had done so many times the wrong things and not given God credit for the right things. So now it's time for Samson to realize that God has limits. And the limits that he has placed upon Samson's life are such that he no longer has the blessing of God for strength. Verse 21 says, Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison, grinding grain, wheat, Probably the job of women. So not only were his eyes plucked out, but he was given a very lowly thing to do, an embarrassing thing for a man of such great strength. However, it tells us, verse 22, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. A clue to something that God is going to be doing next. So we find in verse 23... Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. By the way, this probably is taking place... Shortly after another event that's recorded in First Samuel, which we've looked at in previous studies, you may recall that there was a time when Eli, the high priest, was in Israel, in Shiloh. And the Philistines had come against the people of Israel and his sons, Eli's sons, took the Ark of the Covenant with them to the battle, thinking that they could bring the Ark of the Covenant before them so that they would win the battle when the Philistines heard that the Ark of the Covenant was there. Yes, the Philistines were fearful, but they gathered strength and they began to fight the Israelites and they won the battle and they captured the Ark of the Covenant and they brought it into Philistine territory and they set it up in one of the temples of their their god, Dagon. And remember the story that Dagon ultimately fell and was broken into pieces. And the Philistines were plagued with what was known as emeralds, well, probably hemorrhoids, or some kind of illness that caused them great pain. And so finally they had sent the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel. And again, this happened during the time that Samson was alive. And apparently that event with the Ark took place just a few years prior to this event that's being recorded here. So they now are in the temple of Dagon and they're rejoicing that they have Samson, their enemy, who had killed so many of their people. In a vengeful sort of way, they're using him to rejoice in their God's victory because their God had been so completely put to shame before the God of Israel. So they're very happy with what's going on right now. But it says in verse 25, So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. And then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about three thousand men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. We're not exactly sure what it was that they were having him do perform before them, but because he was blind, he couldn't see, they were probably making him go around the center of the court and tripping him up every once in a while, causing him to stumble or fall, just so they could laugh and have a fun time. And finally, he was so tired from all of that, they relinquished and let him get a rest by having him stand between the pillars. That was a mistake. But they didn't know that. They were still having such great sport. But verse 28 says, Then Samson called to the Lord saying, now listen to his appeal. Oh, Lord God, remember me, I pray. He's here using for the first time, as it's recorded, in this second of only two prayers that we have recorded that Samson spoke. This time, he's using the name Yahweh. He's calling out directly to the God of Israel. Oh, Lord God, remember me, I pray. That's a repentive heart. He's making the an appeal here to God, not only to remember him, but he says, Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. So he's asking God to allow him to do this one great thing for God's glory, not his own. And God approves. It tells us, and Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple. And he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. And then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it, so that the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him, and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol, In the tomb of his father Manoah, and he had judged Israel 20 years. Such an interesting story of a man who did not do well throughout most of his life, and yet at the very end, he ended with a great victory, a great heart for God, a great desire to do something for God, and to have God use him in a special way as he knows his life is going to end in the doing of this. It wasn't suicide. It was a battle between Israel and the Philistines that needed to take place because God had begun to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. After Samson, many years would pass before finally the Philistines would indeed be overcome by David, as we've said before. But until then, as the book of Judges comes to its close, there are several chapters that we have recorded for us where there's no judge mentioned. There's very little mentioned about the things of God in these last several chapters. These last chapters end the book of Judges on a very, very sad note because the people had done what was right in their own eyes. And that was a problem. It always is a problem. Whenever we go our own way and not God's way, there's a price to pay. Remember that. Simple little rhyme that should remind us of how important it is for us to get it right. Samson didn't get it right most of the time, but here in these last few verses, yes, he did. And I think that's part of the reason why we have recorded for us in the book of Hebrews, as I said before, in chapter 11, verse 32, that Samson was among those who are listed in that hall of faith. And I don't know what that would mean to any of you. As I look at this, I'm reminded of the fact that I'm a man who by the grace of God have been saved from a wretched life of sin. And I know that that's not necessarily something that needs to be known specifically about what it was that I did as a young man, but I want want you to know that I, like almost everybody else on this planet, was a sinner. There's only one who was not. His name is Jesus. But because all of us were sinners, because all of us were by grace given the opportunity to receive salvation that was offered freely through the cross of Jesus Christ, by his death, burial, and resurrection, that gospel that we received, believed, and accepted as truth, that which is now the basis for our salvation, we stand firmly in a place where God's word declares, nothing can separate us from his love. And if God before us, who can be against us? Those are the things we need to remember, because Yes, we are still in these bodies of flesh, and yes, we do have that same propensity to sin, even like Samuel, uh, Samson. But we know that we can indeed live for him by the power of his Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, and we have that great privilege today that allows us to have that same experience. But more than that, the Spirit of God dwells in us so that daily we can rely on His strength, on His power, on His wonderful presence, on His comfort and mercy and grace to carry us through every step of the way that we travel on this path that we've been put on. Blessed be the name of the Lord, for He has done great things for you and for me. Next time, we'll continue in our look at the book of Judges. And keep in mind that the story continues by complaining over and over again about the fact that they did what was right in their own eyes and they would not turn to their God. They could have, but they did not. That's the story of the book of Judges. It's not our story. Praise the Lord for that.